much the world is ready for Christmas, but I don't think they're really prepared for Christmas. And there is a difference between being ready and being prepared. Now, the world's ready for Christmas, and if they're ready for you to come spend all your money at their stores, but I don't think that they are prepared for the, the one who came on that very first Christmas. You see, Christmas is something that is incredibly significant because 2,000 years ago, it was a picture, a demonstration of God himself entering into our world. And guys, we need to be prepared for what that means. And my hope is that as you celebrate Christmas this year, that you're just not going to be ready for the gifts and the Santa Claus of Christmas, but that you're going to be prepared to contemplate and to dwell on what this season really means. And so we're going to look in Luke chapter 1, verse number 5, and we're going to see a man in this text who was, he was ready for some things to happen, but God had to prepare him for what was going to happen with the birth of Jesus. And so I think this applies to us today. We're going to see how God prepares his people for Christmas. And so how does God do that? How can God prepare you? How can he prepare me for this incredibly important time in world history? And very simply, we're going to see a few things that he does in order to prepare us. And this is one, one of the neat things that I think God does to prepare people for Christmas is that God has the ability to use brokenness in people's lives in order to help them see the significance of Christmas. God can use brokenness as a positive in your life, like he did in this man named Zechariah's life. And so we're going to look in Luke chapter 1. Look with me down in verse number 5. It says, In the days of King Herod of Judea there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah, And his uh, wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame, according to all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth could not conceive. And both of them were well along in years. And when his division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. Now, just a couple of things I want you to notice here about the main characters in this story. It's a guy named Zechariah. He was a priest, a lady named Elizabeth, his wife. The Bible says that she was from the tribal family of Aaron, and this was a priest family. This was from this family that priests came out of. And so if you look at the religious heritage of these two people, I mean, one's a priest, and the other one's from the tribe of Aaron, they have a good religious background. Right? There are some of you here today. You have a good religious background. You have parents that, that brought you up in the church. Uh, maybe some of you have, have uh, the incredible privilege of being preacher's kids, you know, like my kids. Uh, there are some of you who had the privilege of having grandparents who loved Jesus. All those things. So these were, these were people with a good religious background. Uh, the Bible also says in our text that these people were blameless. Now, that doesn't mean they were perfect. It just means that they sought after God, they were obedient to his commands. So, good heritage, good people, want to serve and honor God. Now, here's the rub in all of this. Elizabeth was not able to have kids. She was not able to conceive. Now, I know people in our church who have experienced this, or who are experiencing this. They're not able to have children. And and I've seen how devastating that kind of news is can be for those people. 
Now, in this day in particular, that kind of news was even more devastating. And, and the reason why is because in the religion of this day, they said if you were not able to have kids, it meant that it was because you were a sinner and God was punishing you. I mean, not, not, that's pretty harsh. And so they saw not being able to have children as being your fault. On top of that, there was a financial aspect to this during this day. It was important for parents or for adults who were married to have children because their children were going to be their financial hope in the future. Uh, their kids were their retirement program for the future. And, you know, today, whenever I look at that, in a sense, that makes me kind of laugh and yet also makes me very nervous. Um, I have three kids, and I look at Hank, Glenn, and Janie, and I think about this text, and I think, man, they better get on their game. Because uh, they're, they're my retirement program. they got to come through for me. And so not to have kids during this day is it was a financial issue. You would live in poverty. It was devastating. Now, I tell you these things about this family because here's a family that has a desire to honor God. Here's a family that has a good background. And yet, in some sense, they were broken. There was something that was wrong with them. And, and I look at that, and I'm sure that you can too, and, and say, well, gosh, if you're, if you're serving God and you want to honor God, you shouldn't experience brokenness in your life, right? You know, if I'm, if I'm seeking after God, that should mean good things. And yet, Zechariah and Elizabeth were good people, and yet they were broken. And some of you can identify. And that you are people who honestly are seeking after God. You're seeking after the wisdom of God in your life, and you love God, and you serve God. And yet you have some brokenness and some fractures in your life. Maybe some dreams that you have have not panned out like you thought they would, or some experiences that you hope to have, they're not, they're not coming true like you wanted them to see. And so the result is that you were left broken, and, and you're wondering, where's God? You know, where, where is God in the midst of the brokenness in my life? And I wish I had a nice little answer for you, you know, that I could explain some things and y'all, I, the, the older I get, the more and more I understand this, I'm not all that wise. But here's what I can tell you about life. Sometimes life just stinks. Sometimes there's just stuff that happens in life that's bad. And it doesn't make sense. And you're probably thinking, man, why didn't you listen to your Tony Robbins tape before you came in here? But I'm just telling you the truth. There are times when life's not fair and it doesn't make sense, but here's the good news. Brokenness does not disqualify a work of God. Whenever I read through the scripture, it's really interesting to me to see that God has done some of his greatest work in scripture through broken people. People that are destroyed and that doesn't seem like that they have a chance. And yet God works through those people and you have to say, well, why does he do that? Because it seems like that he'd only use people who were doing really well. Yeah, I noticed that in my own life, whenever, whenever things are going well, it's real easy for me not to think I need God. 
but that I can handle everything on my own. But it's in the midst of brokenness, one of the first things that I do is say, God, where are you? God, I need your help. God, I have to trust in you. And that's when God can begin to do work. In the New Testament, it reminds me of the story of Paul. Paul's the guy who was broken. He's the guy, the Bible says that he had a thorn in his side. I don't think it was a literal thorn. There's just some sort of physical problem he had. And he began to cry out to God saying, I'm broken, God. God, remove this thorn from my side. And he asked God for healing in his life. And you know what God told him on three different occasions? This blows me away. We tend to skip this over. God told him no. God said, I'm not going to heal you from that. Now, that's discouraging. But God gave him some good news. He told him in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Do you all know that? Now, I don't like, to, I don't like this verse, because I like to think that his power is perfected when everything's going my way. And he says, my power is perfected in weakness. It's perfected whenever you struggle. Now, you might think, well, how is my brokenness something that's good? How does brokenness make me stronger? And then this is the only example that I, or an example I could think of that I thought was just, it's sort of interesting. You know, whenever, if you've ever broken a bone before, it hurts, right? I mean, it's not like, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it hurts. It's not fun. But if you take that broken bone and you reset it, as the bone heals, what typically happens is the density of the bone after it's been broken becomes stronger as it heals. And so that's an example of how in brokenness there actually can be strength. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were broken. They were broken people. And yet God was to take their brokenness and bring his strength. And we'll see how he did that in just a few moments. So what I want you to see here is that God prepares his people for Christmas and that he uses brokenness in our lives as a positive. If you are here today and you are broken, I want you to understand that if you bring yourself to the author of healing, which is God, that he can strengthen you in your brokenness, like he did Elizabeth and Zechariah. Another thing that God is able to do to prepare us for Christmas is that he encourages us in the midst of fear. God encourages us in the midst of our fears. If you look in verse number 9, it says, It happened that he was chosen, this is Zechariah, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. So they're in the temple area here. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. And there will be joy and delight for you. And many will rejoice at his birth. Zechariah was a priest. He's one of 18,000 priests that would have served the temple at this time. He would have gone to the temple twice a week to serve. On this particular occasion, he was to burn incense. Uh, I know for us, this is weird. We don't, you know, y'all have never seen me. Y'all have never come in here and I've been burning incense at the altar. It doesn't happen here, but it was significant for, the, for this faith. A priest was only able to do this one time in his life. And this is the time when Zechariah was chosen to burn incense. The incense was burned, and it was a picture, as the smoke went up, of God's people's prayers going up to God. It was an offering to God. 
And as verse number 10 says, as he is burning the incense, the people are outside the temple and they are praying. You know, so what were they praying? Well, this would have been the typical prayer that they would have said. And that was, may the merciful God enter the holy place and accept with favor the offerings of his people. That is the prayer the people were praying. This is what I find entertaining. This is what they're praying. And guess what God does? He answers that prayer. An angel shows up while Zechariah is burning the incense. Zechariah turns around. There's an angel there. And Zechariah didn't look at him and say, oh, we've been praying for you to come. It's kind of neat that you're here. Our text says he turns around as he's praying for God to do something. God does something, and it scares him to death. It says he is overcome with fear. You know what? For a lot of people, the presence of God scares us. The presence of Christmas and what it means for a lot of people, man, it scares us. Now you say, well, how is that? So, I mean, what, what do you mean by that? Let me give you an example. We, for a long time, we've been trying to do whatever we can to remove God from a lot of different areas in our lives. Why do we do that? Now, here's one of the reasons why. Because if God's real, he's going to hold us accountable. If we remove God, then we can live like we want to and not be held accountable for anything. And so some of the ways we try to remove God, and I know y'all probably think I hear this every time a preacher talks about stuff like this. Okay, well, I'm going to be one more. Uh, right now, we're getting ready to come up at school on Christmas break. No, holiday break. We want to move God from that. It drives me nuts. Y'all, that's just one pet peeve. So anyway, I've got more. Uh, some of the other things. Nativity scenes. You can put them up at your house. Put them up on some public property or government property. Uh, that's a no-no. Now, we can put Santa Claus up there. We can sing jingle bells. But you start talking about Silent Night. You're going to irritate a whole lot of people. Now, why do we do this? Because, guys, if there is a God who's intervened into our world, that means that there is a God that we have to deal with. There is a God that calls us to live by standards, a God who has called us to repentance, a God who's called us to a life lived for him. So we'd rather remove him so that we can go about our merry lives without having to deal with God. But here's what we have to understand. God did not come here swinging a bat. God did not come here and intervene into our world so that he could look at me and say, you know what, Eric, I'm sick of you and I can't wait for you to screw up so I can beat you in the head. Why did Jesus come? What's so important about Christmas? Guys, he came here to reconcile man to God. He came here with good news. In Luke 2.10, when it talks about the birth of Jesus... Here's what the angel said. He said, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all the people. What was the message that Zechariah received? He received the news that God was going to give him a son so that he could point people to the life and joy of Jesus. And yet so many of us are afraid of the presence of God because we don't want to do what God says. And so we, we live in darkness to who God is. You know, everything is always scarier in the dark. Have you all noticed that? Light, not so much. Dark, yes. Um, I, can, I can be in, in our bedroom, the lights are off, and Emily can come home. And, yeah, and I hate to say this, but yes, every once in a while I do it because I just think it's funny, is to try to make strange noises and scare her as she comes in. When it's dark, it's frightening. 
And, of course, then she sees me, and it scares a little bit. And she sees me, and she's like, why did I ever marry you? Uh, and then, of course, then she sees me, and she goes, oh, now I remember why. I'm just kidding. Uh, now, now, if I do that whenever it's light, if I just sit in the house and I'm making these strange noises, is it going to scare her? Well, not so much, you know, because it's, the light's on. Things just aren't as scarier when it's done in the light. And, and that's why Jesus came. Jesus came here, the Bible says, as the light of the world. And as we look to the light of the world and we see Jesus, it's, it's a reminder to us that a life lived with Jesus makes this world not as scary as we think it is. But without him, it's in darkness. And this life has no hope. And it's scary. So you see, God wants to prepare us for Christmas. For what it means. Why does he do that? Well, he, he uses brokenness. It's a positive. How else does he prepare us? Well, he encourages us in the midst of our fear. And this is the last thing that I want you to see, and then we'll conclude. God prepares his people for Christmas. And at Christmas is a reminder to us that he's here. He's here. Final few verses. Verse number 13. It says, the angel said to Zechariah, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you'll name him John. And there will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be, a, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and never drink wine or beer. And he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. And he'll turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And he'll go before him in the power and spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. This is good news. He's taught, the angel's talking to Zechariah. And he's reminding Zechariah, God's here. I know that a lot of stuff in life has been really crummy for you. They're under an occupying government. He and his wife can't have kids. Retirement-wise, their 401k has been wiped out. They have absolutely nothing. And then the angel comes along, and he reminds him, hey, God's with you. How did he do that? Well, for one, he, he showed up. I mean, an angel appeared before him. Y'all, that is a good reminder that God's with you. When Zechariah saw the angel, he's like, yeah, God's here. That's a good thing. Not only that, the angel told him. He said, God's heard your prayers. What were they praying for? They're praying that they'd have a kid. They're praying they're going to have a kid. Now, they're beyond childbearing age. But God said, I hear your prayers. It was a reminder that he was with him. And he said, and I'm going to send you a son, and you're going to name him John. It's also known as John the Baptist. He said he's going to come in the power and spirit of Elijah. Now, you have to say, well, who's Elijah? Elijah was a prophet from the Old Testament. Elijah's an interesting guy. In some senses, he's sort of like a cocky God follower. And there was a reason for him to be cocky. It's because he knew God was with him. The prophets of Baal, this was a pagan god, got together with Elijah. And Elijah said, let's see whose God's real. He said, you build an altar, I'll build one. Let's call for God to send fire down from heaven. Whichever one does it, that's the real God. Can you imagine doing something like that? I don't have the guts to do that. Elijah said, let's bring it on. My God's real. So they build an altar. The prophets of Baal, they start praying for their God to bring fire down. Never happens. You know what Elijah does? This is really interesting to me. He builds an altar, and he gets a bunch of water, and he pours it all over the altar. It's like, you know, fire and water don't mix very well. He's like, I'm going to show you how strong my God is. I'm going to soak this thing. Watch this. And then he prays. 
And God sends fire from heaven and it burns up the altar. Incredible story. Now, now what was the point of all this? God allowed that to happen to remind people God's present. That God's real. The angel said, when John comes, he's going to come like Elijah in that he's going to point to people that God's real. How did he do that? As John grew up in John 129, it says that whenever John saw Jesus coming towards him, he looked at him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know what's significant about that statement? Only God forgives sin. So whenever John said this, he was saying, Here comes God. Here comes God. He was pointing out to people that God is real. Only God forgives sin. And Christmas is the ultimate reminder that God's with us. You know, sometimes as we travel along, we begin to wonder. We think we're on a good path, but then we begin to wonder, am I really on the right path? Have you ever gotten directions from somebody before? They say, you know, you go about eight miles down the road and you're going to turn left on such and such road. And so you're driving, and eight miles is always longer than you think, especially if it's in the dark and you're driving along, and after like five miles, you're like, God, am I in the right direction? Am I going the right way? Do they even know what they're talking about? And so you start going like 20 miles an hour, and you're looking for that road to turn on. And what happens when you finally see that, that, that uh, sign? Well, you relax. I'm, I'm going the right direction. That's good. And you get confident again. You I know, mean, sometimes in life, and sometimes in our spiritual walk with God, we, we just sort of go along in life, and then we begin to wonder, is God real? You know, am I really going in the right direction? And so what God has graciously done is he's given a signpost along the way in life to remind us, hey, you're going in the right direction. In order to help us relax and have confidence again. God did this for Zechariah. He showed up, said, I hear your prayers. He gave him a son. Signpost. God will give you signposts in your life to remind you that he's real. Christmas is one of them. It's a signpost to remind you that God has not forgotten his people. He sent his son to come as an intermediary between God and man to reconcile us to God. Whenever I read scripture, there's signposts that I see in scripture where I see scripture specifically speaking to me and I'm reminded, God's here. You know, I, I, look at the, I look at the church, and I remember when we first started, and there were like, you know, there were, uh, there were 12 adults. And I look, and, I, and I, I remember those 12 adults thinking, why are they here? They're crazy for being here. I wondered why I was here. And then I look over the years, I see what God's done. And I'm reminded, God's here. I look at the joy in the face of children, and I'm reminded, man, God's here. Now, there's sometimes when I look at children, and I think, I don't think God is here. But most of the time, you know, I look at kids and I think, well, it's incredible what God does. Whenever I see the hope that God's word gives, I see that God's here. So Christmas is like, it's like us tying a string around our finger to remind us, to help us not forget. Forget what? Forget that God remembers us and he sent his son and he has a promise for you. He promises to be with his people. And he reminds us that he can use our brokenness, and every one of us here is broken. He can use our brokenness as a positive. He can encourage us in the midst of our fears. And finally, he can remind us he's still here. Folks, God's here. I don't care what the world looks like today. 
God is here. And he will be glorified. The question is, will we join him or not? We join, join with others in honoring and recognizing, celebrating God or not. Because God is here. And he will be glorified. Let's do it together as we celebrate the season, remembering that God's here.